As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to episode two, series two of Inside Crime Investigation. In this episode, we'll bring you an exclusive interview one half of the red-handed podcast, Hannah Maguire. We discuss everything from how to get into podcasting to a special Halloween episode of Red Handed and explore her views on the Shafilia Ahmed case. We cover this brutal case in episode 7 of Where Missing Turns to Murder on Crime Investigation. Shafilia was a 17-year-old British Pakistani girl from Cheshire who was murdered by her parents in a suspected honour killing. Where Missing Turns to Murder features one case each episode as it reveals powerful and emotional testimony from families and friends of those who have disappeared. Every story intimately shares the moment when a family changes forever, when a missing persons inquiry turns into a murder investigation. As each program unfolds, police and authorities investigate and bring the perpetrators to justice. But before we discussed when missing turns to murder, I wanted to know more about Red Handed, so I got Hannah on the phone. So just to kick off, so um, tell us how you got into podcasting. It's a bit of a weird story, really. And um, unfortunately for an interview, I've never come up with a succinct way of uh, telling the story. But here's what happened. I had a party. I was living with an American about two years ago, and he had all of his family over for Thanksgiving. So we had a Thanksgiving party at my flat. And Sariti, who is my co-host on Red Handed, uh, came along just because her friend was sleeping on my sofa at the time. So we really are not very connected at all. Um, and so she came to the Thanksgiving dinner and we just drank quite a lot of wine and ended up starting to shout at each other about Jean Benet Ramsey in front of like children and then a massive extended family. And about two years ago, it was quite rare um, to find someone who was listening to podcasts, let alone someone who was listening to the exact same specific murder podcast that you were listening to. So I sort of, as half as a joke, um, said, well, let's just start a podcast. And then we did. And then two years later, here we are. Fast forward, it's all been roses and murders and all wonderful things since then. Well, exactly, yeah. How do you select which cases to feature? We will, we do them, 
we choose cases that we find interesting. Uh, so when we were starting the podcast, we were thinking about, oh, maybe we should just be doing British cases or maybe we should just be doing this specific kind of case. But we didn't really want to limit ourselves because um, I, I, it would be my worst nightmare to come across a case that I thought was the most interesting thing I'd ever heard and be like, oh, well, it's not British, so I can't do it. Um, so we pick interesting ones. We won't do... We won't do cases that we don't have anything to add to the conversation to. So like doing Jack the Ripper or doing um, you know, possibly even Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer. What do we have to add to that? Like it's been done so many times. So if we could come up with an angle, we'd definitely do it. But we tend to choose cases that even that are less well known or if they are well known, we bring something else to the table. What I really love about the podcast is this your range of titles. Actually, I was telling you how I downloaded one this weekend and the one I went for, and it probably tells you a lot about me, was Ball Gags, BDSM, <laughs> A Body in the Woods, and The Murder of Elaine Hanara. And that's the one I went straight for. So which is your favourite title and why? Oh, God, difficult question. Um, Saruti is the, the title magician. She's our copywriter extraordinaire. My favourite title. I think you're right. I think the best one is ball gag BDSM and a body in the woods, the murder of Elaine O'Hara. I think that's our best title. What's the process of the, the research that goes into each episode? Because I notice sometimes you're, you said you've watched something and you're obviously reading stuff. How do you go and put a, together all the information that you use in, in each episode? Um, well, because we're working on a weekly cycle, episodes come out every Thursday. So generally what we'll do is we record at the weekend edit it and then for our patron supporters they get it on a Wednesday so really it has to be ready to go on Tuesday night um so the next one we take it in turns for um who's researching the case so if it's my turn by Wednesday I really want to have a good idea of the case that I'm going to do and then I find everything I can on it um and I copy and paste it all into one big document and go through it uh, taking out the bits that repeat themselves. And then I, I like to sort of let it sit overnight, to sleep on it. And then you pick out the key story points from there. Uh, because what we're doing is is storytelling at the end of the day. And I think what I enjoy doing is telling the story in a different way because you can't always, you can't always being like, he was born on the 4th of December, that you can't start every episode like that. So, and then in terms of watching documentaries and stuff, um, if they're out there, we'll watch them. I think it would be uh, remiss to do a case having not watched, read, listened to as much as you can. If it's out there, we'll find it. Uh, as I said earlier, I think I think it's a very funny podcast and it's, it's surprising you. that a podcast about such a serious matter could be so amusing. Mm -hmm. So how do you get that balance right between having fun, but yet talking about the crime and the victims in like a, in a respectful manner? really had a conversation about like oh what is our house style going to be how are we going to decide what to make jokes about and how what to leave alone and the key thing is like there's not really a magic formula it's just I, I don't make jokes about things I don't think are funny and I don't think making jokes about victims is funny so I won't do it um and I think that's a really important line to tread and, and I do think in true crime podcasting it is quite a fine line um but I would just never make a joke. I'd never make a joke about a victim or a victim's family just because I think it's inappropriate. Uh, but in terms of where we bring in the humour, sometimes you look at like an absolutely savage case and you think, oh God, how am I going to find something that's funny in here? But me and Sarithi are really lucky that the chemistry we have, uh, it kind of, we. every time I'm worried about it and I'm not sure 
where it's, the comedy is going to come from. It just sort of happens. And I think it's because we're such good mates and we get on so well. You can hear that. You can hear the chemistry. And it's definitely it's that, it's that, that interplay between you two, which makes it such an interesting listen. What's your favourite episode so far? And why? Obviously, it's a difficult question. It's like, what's your favourite child? But um, <laughs> which is your favourite episode and why? I'm going to ask it. Uh, my favourite episode. Uh, mm, I think the episode I'm most proud of is Stephen Lawrence. Uh, just because when hate crimes are a difficult topic and a lot of people avoid covering them, and obviously Stephen Lawrence is such a landmark case, I was really keen to do it because no one no one had done it because people sort of tiptoe around the racial aspects of the crime and then obviously the McPherson report and the Metropolitan Police being found to be institutionally racist. Like, that's a big deal. It's an important topic. And I'm really proud that we covered that. In terms of my favourite, my favourite episode to listen back to is our first ever Halloween special. So on Halloween, we do a different type of episode where we just find the scariest stories we can possibly manage. And we tell them to each other as like a story swap, which is unusual because on our normal episodes, we've already read what the other person has written and we've gone through it together we know what's going to happen so what's special about the halloween ones is we don't know what's happening next and i think those are really fun to listen back to are you gonna what anything planned for i guess it's eight months away now isn't it but anything good for halloween you're looking forward to i think we might do a live show for halloween this year you know what tips would you give anyone who wants to start their own podcast good question my tips would be find find your niche and don't deviate from it it might take you a few maybe even 10 20 30 episodes to find what it is you're doing that's different to everyone else but i think that's really important there are so many true crime podcasts out there um so in order for you to to be heard you need a special something and it's not a bad thing if that takes you a little bit of time to find out also podcasting by uh just by definition it probably will be a side gig for you for quite some time. I've only just gone full-time in the last few weeks. Uh, so my advice would be just just keep at it. Keep consistent. Get episodes out every week. They will improve over time. When I listen back to the, the first episodes that we did, like it just keeps me up at night because the sound quality is so bad. But you learn as you go. Um, and I think the best advice I can probably give is just hit the ground running. Just get it out there and you'll learn. You'll learn on the trot. That's great advice. Um, cycling back to what we asked earlier, what do you think your niche is in terms of your podcast? I think with Red Handed, what we do is we will look at the societal and cultural aspects of a case. Because um, uh, we are storytelling, but I think you have to include things that affect all of us all the time, which is race, gender, class. And I don't feel like you can leave those things out. One example is um, we did an episode on the silent twins, Jude and Jennifer Gibbons, who were these uh, twin sisters who only spoke to each other. Um, They had a secret language that no one could understand. And in their teenage years, they uh, did some petty theft and they set fire to a tractor uh, tractor store uh, in Wales. And they ended up in Broadmoor because everyone was so afraid of them. And it's quite a famous story and quite a few podcasts have covered it. But a lot of people got in touch with us and said, we had no idea. I've heard this story so many times and we had no idea that they were black. And that's such an important part of that story. Like if you're the only black family in a small town in Wales, 
of course, you're already going to feel like you're on the outskirts of that. You're already going to feel like an outsider. And I think that's a really important part of the case. So I think that's what we're doing. That's our niche is just is digging into the real because my my background is uh, in anthropology, uh, anthropologist. So I'm always interested in why people do what they do. And I think that's what people who are into true crime, that's the answer question they want to answer. And I don't think you can do that without looking at cultural things or societal pressures. Yeah, and I, I definitely get that. I listen to it. There's a different fresh angle to your podcast. It's not simply like the nitty gritties. Actually, there's all these questions which you throw back to the audience, and you you sort of um, you sort of meditate on as well. Um, what's your favourite true crime series or documentary? Obviously, another another difficult question. Ooh. Um. Okay. Uh, the one I've really recently listened to the a podcast series is called The Dropout. Um, it's about Elizabeth Holmes that um, she started, she dropped out of Stanford when she was like 19 and started uh, a, a biomedical tech company. And it was all lies and it went on for years. Um, and so The Dropout is an incredible podcast series that really takes you through how she managed to get away with it for so long. So that's, but white collar crime is a bit of a deviation to me. That's not really, um, I think that particular podcast is just so well done. It's for, it was Franos, wasn't it? Franos, that's the that's the lady. That's isn't it. it? Yeah, 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 that's the one. Well, she, that's amazing. I mean, she got billions of pounds of this lying. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People left Apple to go and work for her, and it was all made up. What's the appeal of true crime as a genre? Do you think? I think it's to do with it's just people. Like people love learning about people, and I think I've always been of the opinion that it's very it's very dangerous to look at murderers or criminals of any description as monsters there's this 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 thing that's other than normal people because they're not but they're exactly like you and me and it's that danger that i think makes people really interested in it um and it's just figuring out what makes a person do something so horrible you can't even think about it that i think that's the fascination yeah it's the armchair detectives as you said storytelling is everything Mm mm-hmm I'd just like to move on to maybe talk a bit more the Shafila Ahmed case because obviously sure. you're going to be covering it because it's episode six of when uh, missing tense murder. Yeah. You mentioned earlier in the first part about how you you approach these, these cases as storytelling and you pull things out. Mm-hmm. For the Shafila Ahmed case, how do you apply the red-handed treatment to that? What bits do you pull out? What's 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 the elements you want to tell? The stories you want to tell from this? You think to your, to your um, listeners? The red-handed treatment on Shafila Ahmed, I suppose, is. Oh, I should say a little bit about the case, really. What it is, is it's an honour killing. Um, Shafila Ahmed uh, was a 17-year-old Pakistani girl living in the UK. Her parents killed her for dishonouring her family. And I think the the idea of an honour killing, of the honour of the family, is very much placed upon the women in that culture. Like a girl running around with a boy when she's a teenager is very is shameful and um, is dishonouring of the family. A boy doing the same thing doesn't bring the same amount of shame. So I think that's a really interesting concept. And of course, when you're talking about cultures that are different to your own, you have to go about it with a certain uh, cultural sensitivity. But when it comes to something like that, you you have to get into culturally how that happened as well, because it didn't just come out of the blue. I think the only thing we can do is be as logical about it as we possibly can. And it's something that we've said on the show uh, before when we've been discussing stuff like um, FGM is that, of course, we need to be culturally sensitive. But when it comes to abuse, you have to draw a line. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A big part of the, the case is perhaps the members of their community not coming forward and not talking about it. And it's still kept quite small and quite secret. We need to ask questions. We need to talk about things, or nothing's going to progress. Because it took a week for her to be reported. Like, you know, why did it take so long? Like, her classmates and other community sort of kept very quiet about it. Exactly. It's crazy. Do you do you um, class a murder more an act of abuse or an honour killing? Oh, that's a good question. I think it's both, but I think it's an honour killing. Yeah, I mean, whatever it is, it's it's absolutely absolutely horrific. Do you think the social services are partly to blame for her murder, considering she came up from Pakistan having drank bleach and no one really intervened at that point? Right. It's very difficult for... Um, to Obviously, we have uh, the benefit of hindsight. Uh, and because uh, Shafiri Ahmed was living with, within quite an insular family and it was her teachers that noticed she was gone, I think it would have been quite difficult because who's reporting it? Her parents aren't. The school can't until further down the line. So I think, yes, it's possible that social services missed something, but we can't, we can't say it's 100% down to them because we're, we're looking back at it with the knowing what happened. Uh, well, exactly. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to make those, those judgment calls, isn't it? Um, an interesting, I mean, in, in Red Hand, I always know that you sort of have a take on stuff or you, you sort of have a, you sort of analyse stuff or you sort of hypothesise stuff. But so... With the father, Iftikhar, he'd been so mm-hmm. he'd been so anti-Western culture when he had Shafila, but previously married uh, a Danish woman. Yeah. How do you how do you think that goes through that mind that he could actually move to the UK, marry a white Danish woman, drink, go to clubs, that sort of thing, but then later in life become um, so sort of anti-Western culture? What's the what's the process you think that went on in his mind? Oh gosh, I mean. I mean, these questions are things that we have to deal with all the time because you're you're never going to know a hundred percent how how someone else's mind works and I don't know perhaps perhaps it was just because if I if I'm correct in thinking he didn't really want to remarry it was his parents who made him do it and she was his first cousin um very traditional arranged marriage but perhaps once he was married actually something Sarita said to me when he so he didn't want to marry his second wife he wanted to stay married to the Danish lady, but his parents said, no, you have to because no one will marry her now because she'll always be the one who was supposed to be married to you. So if you don't marry her, her life is ruined. So that's why he married her. And then obviously they go on to have children and perhaps he just became a bit more extreme within that relationship having left his first wife. For an ultimate question, 
But how can a mother sort of override her basic maternal instincts and murder her own daughter and help cover it up as well? Um, I think if I've learned anything over the past two years doing the show is that people will do the most horrendous things if they think it's uh, getting them to an, to an end game. And I think this one is mothers killing daughters is not something we see a lot of. And people are always a lot more shocked when women kill uh, women kill generally for revenge or for money, and usually they poison people. So a violent murder by a woman is is quite a rare thing, and I think that's why people are always so shocked by it. But in terms of overriding her maternal instincts, he was overriding his paternal instincts too. You know, just because she's a woman doesn't make her uh, more or less likely to murder someone or murder her child. She's in the same boat as him, really. Yeah, I was a bit sort of worried about asking that question because it is a bit... It is a bit gendered, but hey, I did it. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, my final question um, would be, have you any, have you covered any other cases like the Shafila Ahmed case before in Red Handed Podcast? No, but we're thinking about a sort of murdered abroad series and Shamia Shahid, um, very similar situation. She, Her family will say that she died of a heart attack in Pakistan but the coroner's report said that she was actually strangled to death and she had uh, refused to marry the man that her parents had picked for her and actually had moved to Dubai to marry someone else. So there's a bit of controversy about her case, about whether her family killed her or whether she actually died on holiday in Pakistan. It's, it's a bit of a mystery. Uh, her family will say, obviously, they didn't do it, um, but there's a, a lot of stuff surrounding her death that doesn't quite add up. So I'm very keen to do an episode on that, but we haven't just yet. She just wouldn't have gone away without telling anybody. He says, and I do honestly believe your son has been abducted. Where is she? Where is she? I've got to do my best to find her. I need to find my daughter. The children who were all present watched their parents kill their sister. Brand new When Missing Turns to Murder, Mondays at 9 on Crime and Investigation. We'd like to give a huge thanks to Hannah from Red Handed for her contribution to this episode of Inside Crime and Investigation. You can find Red Handed covering the Shafilia Ahmed case on their feed. Make sure you tag your thoughts on the case and the series with the hashtag When Missing Turns to Murder and find us on social media. This episode of Inside Crime and Investigation was hosted by me, Peter Ross, and produced and edited by Chloe Frost. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savoury tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 
spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.